Once again, good morning. Can I have you turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26? We are working our way through Matthew's Gospel here at Calvary on Sunday morning. And as we come to Matthew 26, and including Matthew 27, we enter into the final week of Jesus' life before the cross. And we uh, are going to finish up a two-part message that uh, we've entitled the nature of worship so let's pick it up in verse 6 matthew 26 verse 6 and when jesus was in bethany at the house of simon the leper a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table but when his disciples saw it they were indignant saying why this waste for this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Now, as we pointed out last week, uh, Matthew isn't trying to give us a strict chronology of the events uh, that took place on the final week of Jesus' life before his crucifixion. Uh, We know that this was an insert, that this was a flashback. John tells us in his Gospel, chapter 12, this incident uh, actually took place six days before the Passover. And John is the only one who tells us the name of this woman who anointed Jesus for burial. Of course, we saw last week her name was Mary of Bethany, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. Now, I want you to turn to John's gospel because that's kind of where we were last time. We kind of developed the story from John's gospel because he gives us a little more insight. and has a few more details. So let me read you again from John 12, starting in verse 1. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him, with Jesus. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, Let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. Now, of all the places in the Bible where worship is talked about, as I said last week, this is the only place I can think of where worship is actually exemplified. Someone actually exemplified worship. When Mary broke open that alabaster flask and poured the fragrant oil of spikenard out on Jesus to prepare his body for burial, she became for all time a living illustration of what a life of worship is really all about. What can Mary of Bethany teach us about the nature of worship? Well, first of all, as we review quickly from last week, she teaches us that worship is costly. Worship is costly. Again, John chapter 12, verse 3, that Mary took a pound, a very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. 
obviously it cost Mary something very precious to worship her Lord in this way. We are told this pound of spikenard was worth 300 denarii. That was almost a year's wage. It was the common wage for a blue-collar guy back then or a soldier was a denarius a day. So this is a lot of money by those standards back then, almost a year's wage. And the first lesson we learned from Mary's act of worship, listen to me, is that worship involves sacrifice by giving to God what is most precious to us. And I speak to myself, not just to you guys. We all have a tendency at times to give God something that is not really our best. You know, the leftovers of our day, our energy, our money. We've done everything we want to do and bought everything we want to buy. Oftentimes that we have a little left, we'll give it to God, maybe. But that is not demonstrating a life of worship. Worship is all about sacrifice. Remember what David said? He said, I will not give to my Lord an offering in worship that does not cost me anything. Do you realize, if I went out into the street, well, not the street, let me, if I talk to church people, okay, canvas numerous churches in the area, and I ask Christians, what is worship? Most Christians would say worship is singing to the Lord. And you know what? That's part of it, isn't it? But do you realize the first time the word worship appears in the Bible, Genesis 22, verse 5, it wasn't associated with singing. It was associated with sacrifice. Remember how that God had promised Sarah and Abraham that they would have a son. It took 25 years for that son to be born. And by this time, you know, they thought they were too old to have this child. But God honored his word as he always does. And Sarah got pregnant. And when she was 90 years old, she bore Isaac. Okay, Isaac. The idea is that this was a precious child now, a very precious child, because they had waited a long time for this baby to be born. And when Isaac got to be a certain age, we think he was actually around 30, 33 years old, God told him to take him on a three-day journey and sacrifice him on Mount Moriah, modern-day Calvary. And so Abraham saddled up his donkey, took Isaac, some servants, went on a three-day journey to Mount Moriah, told his servants to wait here at the base of the mount, where he said, for the lad and I are going to go up the mount and worship and return here. Abraham was willing to sacrifice the most precious thing he had in worshiping God. Of course, God didn't let him go through, that God never intended for him to offer Isaac, but God was testing Abraham, as God will often test us to see how much we, he knows, is we, we need to know. We think, oh God, you're number one, really? All right, well, then why don't you give up this for me? Oh, Lord. It's like, okay, all of a sudden now I realize maybe God isn't really number one, as I think he is. But Mary teaches us that worship is costly. And because it's costly, guys, it's often criticized. That's the second point. John 12, verses 4 and 5, Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii? And given to the poor. Doesn't he sound magnanimous? Boy, just concerned about the poor. This guy's amazing. Judas, you know? Uh, in that blasphemous play, Jesus Christ Superstar, they really ran with this. And made Judas out to be a very caring, magnanimous person, while Jesus comes across rather selfish and unconcerned about the poor. But John adds in his gospel, don't let this, I'll paraphrase, don't let this snow you. He didn't care about the poor. He was dipping into the money bag. 
because he was the treasurer of the group. Look, when you begin to worship the Lord, I'm talking about giving him everything, your whole life. There are always going to be people in your life like Judas who will criticize you for being a fanatic, for getting carried away, you know? You, you can love God and not be a fanatic. Well, yeah, I guess you can, but you'll never be a worshiper because the definition of a worshiper is a fanatic, basically. Someone who is really sold out for Jesus, someone who's consumed with their love for Jesus. There's going to always be those who will criticize a worshiper. I mean, because of the time you give to the Lord or even the fact you want to serve him with your whole life. Now, of course, Judas was the one who piped in, why was this fragrant oil not sold and the money given to the poor? When he said that, the other disciples joined in and said, yeah, 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 why this waste? The fact of the matter is, nothing we give to the Lord or do for the Lord is ever wasted. Jesus said, you can't give a cup of cold water to one of my little disciples in my name without receiving your reward. Nothing you ever do for the Lord will ever be wasted. And the idea of putting the Lord first and giving him our best is always the right thing to do because, listen, that's what a life of worship is all about. And so worship is costly, point number one. Point number two, because it's costly, it's often criticized. And now number three, and here's where we pick it up this morning. Worship is always Christ-centered. Worship is always Christ-centered. John 12, verses 7 and 8, Jesus said, Let her alone. She has done this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. Now, let me add something that Jesus said that Mark records that we don't read in John or in Matthew. Something very important. Jesus said, let her alone, the poor you always have with you, and whenever you wish, you may do good to them. But me, you do not always have with you. Guys, Jesus wasn't being insensitive to the needs of the poor. He had been serving the poor for three and a half years. He had been going around healing sick people, feeding hungry people. He had been ministering primarily to the poor. He cared deeply about the poor. He was not being insensitive to the needs of of the poor. Listen, he was emphasizing a priority, a priority. Taking care of the poor is an important thing, but the worship of God is the most important thing. As Christians, we are first and foremost worshipers. We talked about this last week. You can read John 4, verses 23 and 4. This is why we were created. This is why we were redeemed, to be worshipers. There is nothing more important as the people of God than we worship our king. We are first and foremost worshipers. And if we truly love and worship God, we will be concerned for the welfare of those made in his image. That's true. But meeting human needs always flows from the worship of God, flows from our relationship with God, and must never come before it. Otherwise, listen to me, the church becomes just another social agency like the Red Cross. And ceases to be a spiritual entity. Let me, let me explain what I mean. There's a lot of secular organizations that exist to help people. The Red Cross, many others. And they do a good work in helping feeding the poor, going into areas where there is an earthquake or a tsunami, and, and helping people, you know, bringing medical people to help the sick, the wounded, bringing food and water. That's all admirable. And these organizations, whatever they are, they exist for the purpose of fellowship, they get together and they, they have fellowship with each other around their causes. They exist to recruit new members, what we in the church call evangelism. They just call membership recruitment. They seek to expand their groups. 
And they do a lot of good things, a lot of things the church does. When there's an earthquake or a tsunami, we also go into these areas and help the sick and, and feed the hungry and clothe the naked and give fresh water to these people. So what separates the church from any other good social agency? You ready? Worship. Jesus, amen. Can't, I can't argue with that. But what I'm saying is, yes, a relationship with Jesus where now the Holy Spirit comes inside of us, he lives his life through us, and one of the ways that we, we manifest the life of Jesus inside of us is through worship. This is what makes the church a spiritual organism, not a secular organization. We are an organism, the body of Christ on the earth. And that's what sets us apart, guys. The church is a living organism, and we worship our God because that's the nature of the spirit living inside of us. Look, this is where the modern social church is missing the point and has gone from a Christ-centered to a man-centered approach to Christianity. There's a lot of churches, liberal churches, who will send what they call missionaries onto the mission field. And again, they will help people dig new wells and, and have clean drinking water to drink. They will teach them modern farming techniques so they can grow more crops and feed more people. Again, that's all admirable, but many of these same liberal groups will not share the gospel with people, first of all, because they don't really believe in the gospel. They believe there's many roads to God, and cultural heritage transcends any kind of spiritual teaching or group. We need to leave them alone, because in the end, if they're sincere to whatever they believe, they're going to get to God. Well, my Bible doesn't say that, and my Lord didn't say that. He said, I am the only way to get to the Father. If you don't come through me, you don't get there. And so these people go into these areas, and they give people drinking water. They give them food to eat. They give them clothes to wear. But they don't give them the gospel, which will save their souls and bring them into a relationship with God for all eternity. Is it what good have they really done? They're launching people into a Christless eternity with a full stomach and clothes on their back. When you give a person the gospel, you make them a worshiper. And that's really what God is after. But today, guys, everything has gotten so man-centered. In America, this takes different forms. Let me read to you what just was said uh, a few days ago at a church service, one of the largest churches in America down in Texas, Lakewood Church, Joel Osteen's church, where him and his wife, Victoria, are co-pastors. And at the end of one service, Victoria, and this thing went viral, okay? And, and I went and checked the web a little bit. I didn't find anything good that had been said in regard to what she had said. Even Charisma Magazine threw her under the bus. That's, wow. But listen to what Victoria said to 30,000 people, okay, that met for a service there in Texas. She said, when we obey God... We're not doing it for God. I mean, that's one way of looking at it. We're doing it for ourselves, because God takes pleasure when we're happy. That's the thing that gives him the greatest joy this morning. So I want you to know this morning, just do good for your own self. Do good because God wants you to be happy. When you come to church, when you worship him, you're not doing it for God, really. You're doing it for yourself, because that's what makes God happy. Amen? She said that. End quote. 
You know, guys, that statement epitomizes the man-centered, self-obsessed approach to Christianity that we see in so many churches today. At least she's honest. At least she's honest. It really isn't about God anymore in so many churches across this country. He's not really the focus. It's all about how our Christianity makes us feel. The worship isn't really directed at God. It's designed to stir our emotions, you know, to pump us up, to get us going. That's why a lot of people don't come to our church. Did you notice the worship this morning? Now, we had some upbeat, joyful songs. But did you notice the bulk of the songs were designed to focus our attention on God? They were designed to to get us to worship God because that's why we're here. And people that say, well, you know, I didn't like that church because the worship was too down. I wanted something high energy and something we can dance to and shout. And well, Is it about you or is it about the Lord? You know, hallelujah me? Is that what it's about? <laughs> very God, very man-centered, right? And the same is true with the message. It's all about making people feel happy, not challenging them to be holy. Does this surprise any of us? We know we're living in the last days. What did Paul tell us was going to happen in the last days? 2 Timothy 4, verse 3, For a time is coming when people, he's talking about people in the church, by the way, will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching from God's word. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. Welcome to the last days, church. Guys, it is the worship of God that must be our consuming passion and motivation for everything we do in our lives. And one of the main ways this passion for God is expressed is in our corporate worship, which should be the high point of our week. Now listen to me. I purposely didn't look around the sanctuary this morning because I didn't didn't want to know who's coming in late. I didn't want you to think I'm singling you out. Okay? You know who you are. But let me just say this. Anybody can be late to church once in a while. I'm not coming down on that. But I know there are people that come to our church and they're late every Sunday. And you know what that says to me? That says to me that worship is not a priority. Worship, that 20 minutes, 25 minutes, that's a little buffer zone that I have, that extra time I have, that I don't, you know, I can be a little late because it's only worship going on. I want to get there before the message. Really? You want to listen to me as opposed to worship God? I feel sorry for you, all right? And I appreciate you wanting to be here for the message. But guys, the worship is the high point. The message is about getting you to understand God in a deeper way that you can worship Him in a deeper way. It's all about Him. I'll tell you what, once we love God with all our hearts and worship Him with our entire life, you're going you're gonna to love people. You're going to want to help the poor. Everything you do for people would be motivated by your love for Jesus, though. All right, what else can Mary teach us about worship? Number four, she teaches us that worship comes through brokenness. You see in the text how she broke open the alabaster flask to pour the oil of spikenard out on Jesus, preparing him for burial? You say, well, what is this alabaster flask? Well, alabaster is a soft, translucent stone that can easily be carved and polished. Often back then it was used as a substitute for glass. 
One historian put it this way, said, alabaster perfume bottles were sealed, disposable containers, opened by breaking and then discarded when empty. That's an important point. They were sealed shut. So if you wanted to open this alabaster flask, you had to break it, and once you broke it, you had to use all of it inside. You couldn't unscrew the top and dab a little on Jesus here, a little fragrant oil there, seal it up and keep the rest for me. Total commitment is the idea. She gave not a little bit of what was precious to her. She gave everything that was precious to her. The alabaster flask had to be broken before the fragrant perfumed oil could flow. Listen to me, guys. In the scriptures, oil is often symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Often. And the Bible says that we must be continually, continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember what Paul said in Ephesians 5, verse 18? Let me read it to you out of the Greek. Be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. You say, well, why? I mean, why am I need to be continually being filled with the Spirit? Because God does not want us to be reservoirs that contain the Spirit. He wants us to be channels through which the Spirit can flow. Same thing what Jesus said in John 7. He said, the Spirit of God will flow through you like torrents of living water. Look, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, the living water that people of this world need to drink from because they are dying of a spiritual thirst. They need the gospel. And God wants us not to be reservoirs to contain the Spirit, but channels through which the Spirit can flow, which means as long as we're connected to Him, the Holy Spirit keeps flowing through us to this, this world around us. In that regard, guys, let me just change a little bit here. I don't want to throw you. We're looking at Mary as an example of worship. Can I just deviate for one second for this point? And for this one point, make, make the alabaster flask representative of the believer, the worshiper? Because the flask had to be broken before the oil could flow, right? We have to be broken before the Spirit of God can flow through our lives. It's only the broken person who worships God, not the proud, not the self-centered, not the selfish, not the self-confident. Brokenness leads to humility, and humility leads to surrender. And both humility and surrender provide the only environment, listen, where worship can really thrive and grow and develop. Mary's worship was humble. May I say this? It was humiliating. It was humiliating. I mean, most people would have been embarrassed to kneel in front of all those people, to wipe Jesus' feet with her hair, to kiss his feet and wipe them with her hair. As we said last week, there were at least 16 people beside Mary at this supper at uh, Simon's house. Simon, Mary, Martha, Martha, Lazarus, Jesus, and the 12 disciples. And there were probably others. And yet, you know what? Mary wasn't embarrassed because you know what I think? She was so focused on Jesus. She was so in love with Jesus. She was so caught up in this moment of worship to her Lord. The room was empty. She saw nobody. She saw nobody but Jesus. You know, I love Mary. I absolutely love Mary. I'd like to tell you I was like Mary as a worshiper. I can't tell you that. But she challenges my life to want to be a worshiper. Let me just add this too. Back then, no woman ever let down her hair in public. It was an intimate, an intimate act reserved only for her private moment with her husband. 
But maybe that's the reason Mary didn't mind giving up her dowry. And as we said last week, that oil of spikenard was probably her dowry. She had probably put it aside for the day that she would meet a man. In those days, a woman without a dowry was probably not going to be proposed to. Her dad was gone by this time, no doubt. So she had made an investment in a very costly oil of spikenard. And she was keeping it for the day when some man would propose to her. By giving up her dowry, it meant she was pretty much giving up any hope of ever being married and having a family. That's quite a sacrifice. But again, I don't think it mattered to Mary. I don't think letting her hair down in public mattered. I don't think giving up the oil of spikenard mattered because in her mind, she was already married. She was married to Jesus. And again, he was the only one in the room. He was her first and only love. You know, 1 Corinthians 11 verse 15 says, A woman's hair is her glory, is her glory. Which means Mary gave up her glory to wipe the feet of Jesus by putting him first and serving him in the hours before his crucifixion to prepare his body for burial. You know, in the Daily Devotional, Amazing Grace, 366 Inspiring Hymn Stories for Daily Devotion, you don't have that book. It's really an awesome book. But the August 30th entry yesterday uh, was all about Judson Van Deventer, who lived uh, from 1855 to 1939. And the writer of this devotional says this, and I quote, The Bible teaches us that brokenness is a prerequisite to blessing and usefulness. No one ever achieves spiritual greatness until he has fully surrendered himself to God. Victorious living comes as we abandon ourselves to the lordship of Christ, becoming his loving bond slave. God's best for our lives is not the result of struggle. Rather, it is simply the acceptance of his perfect will and the recognition of his authority in every area of our lives. And he quotes an old hymn. Higher than the highest heaven, deeper than the deepest sea. Lord, thy love at last hath conquered. Grant me now my supplication, none of self and all of thee. The writer says Judson Van Deventer wrote this text after surrendering his many talents to his all-wise Savior. Deventer writes in his journal, For some time I had struggled between developing my talents in the field of art and going into full-time evangelistic work. At last the pivotal hour of my life came, and I surrendered all. A new day was ushered into my life. I became an evangelist and discovered deep down in my soul a talent hitherto unknown to me. God had hidden a song in my heart, and touching a tender chord, he caused me to sing. The writer says, after making his decision to, to devote his life to Christian service, Van Deventer ministered with much blessing and extensive, and extensive evangelistic work, both at home and abroad. Billy Graham is one of the many who claim that Judson Van Deventer had greatly influenced their lives and ministries. He went on to write, Van Deventer went on to write the lyrics to the beautiful hymn, All to Jesus I Surrender. It goes like this. All to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. All to Jesus I surrender, humbly at his feet I bow. Worldly pleasures all forsaken, take me, Jesus, take me now. All to Jesus I surrender, make me Savior, holy thine. Let me feel the Holy Spirit, truly know that thou art mine. All to Jesus I surrender, Lord, I give myself to thee. 
Fill me with thy love and power. Let thy blessings fall on me. And the chorus, I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. Take those words, put them on one side of the page, and the words of Victoria Osteen, put them on the other. And you will realize how far away from the true heart of worship we have gotten as the Church of Jesus Christ in America. Tragic. Tragic. But folks, that's what a life of worship is all about. Brokenness and surrender. All right, number six. What else can Mary teach us about worship? Well, she teaches us that worship always takes on the fragrance of Jesus. John 12, verse 3, the beginning part. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. Now you can imagine, as Mary poured that perfumed oil on Jesus' head and feet, and then she took her hair and began to wipe his feet with her hair, she took on the fragrance of Jesus, didn't she? She took on the fragrance of Jesus. And that's what happens in worship, guys. The more you do it, the more you take on the sweet fragrance of Jesus. Didn't Paul allude to this in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 15, when he said, For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing? And didn't Paul write in Ephesians 5, verse 2, And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. The worshipful, worshipful life is a sacrificial life. Listen to me. The more we sacrifice our desires, our goals, and our glory to worship him, the more we are transformed into the image of Christ, and our lives then become living sacrifices to God, which is a sweet-smelling aroma to him. We take on the fragrance of Jesus. Now, what did John say in chapter 12, at the end of verse 3? After Mary poured the oil on Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair, the whole house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. When you truly worship the Lord, the fragrance of worship is going to fill your house and affect everything and everyone in it. You can always tell a house where Jesus is truly worshipped. There's a peace there. There's a sweetness there. There's not a lot of conflict, fighting, yelling. There's a sweetness that comes from a family who has learned to worship Jesus. If you really want your children to grow up loving the Lord and worshiping him, then parents, let me just say to you, you must exemplify, as Mary did, you must exemplify a life of worship yourself. Because most of what our kids learn is caught, not taught. Right? I mean, I know that a lot of Christian parents mean well. They say the right things. They try to instruct their children in the right ways. But you can tell your kids God is first. You can tell him he's, he's got to be the most important thing in your life. But if they look at your life, they don't see he's first in your life. They don't see that he's the most important thing in your life. It's going to go in one or not the other. But if you say those things and you back it up with the way you live, it will rivet that truth into their hearts. And as the writer of the Proverbs says, when they grow old, they will not depart from it. Be a worshiper in your home. It will affect everything, your marriage, your kids, 
everything. Make Jesus your first love. All right. So worship is costly. Number two, worship is often criticized. Number three, worship is always Christ-centered. Number four, worship comes through brokenness. Number five, worship always takes on the fragrance of Jesus. And finally, number six, a life of worship will never be forgotten. For this, I want to draw your attention back to Matthew 26, verse 13, where we read, Assuredly, I say to you, Jesus speaking, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Look, everywhere the gospel has been read for the last 2,000 years, everybody knows what Mary did in that little village some 2,000 years ago. It has not been forgotten. And yes, it was costly for her to worship her Lord in this way, to give to him what was most precious to her. And yes, because she gave what was most precious, she was criticized for being so extravagant in her love and devotion to her Lord. But a life lived to worship the Lord will not be forgotten in this life. You're going to impact others. But especially won't be forgotten in the life to come. Because Jesus will make sure that you are rewarded for your life of worship. What this woman has done will be a memorial to her everywhere the gospel is preached. This woman is going to be honored because of what she's done here today, Jesus said. Has Mary been honored? Well, we name our daughters Mary. We don't name our sons Judas. No parent wants to name their son Judas. His name is synonymous with treachery and betrayal. In fact, I have to believe that Solomon, who wrote the Proverbs, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, now he didn't know who (laughs) Judas or Mary was going to be. He lived a long time before that. But the Spirit who knew they were going to be, And the spirit writing through Solomon, I think, had Mary and Judas in mind when Solomon wrote Proverbs 10, verse 17, which says, The memory of the just is blessed, but the name of the wicked shall rot. That's exactly what happened. Look, may the Lord work in each of us, giving us the heart, giving us a heart like Mary for worship. Again, I love Mary. I wish I could tell you that I have learned to be the kind of worshiper she was. I like to think I'm growing in that area. But her devotion and love for Jesus is just breathtaking. And I pray it's something God gives to all of us. We get so worked up with things, right? You know, it wasn't that Martha, her sister, who was exhausting herself by service, you know, just serving, serving, serving. And at one point, Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus listening, soaking up his words. Martha's serving, serving, serving. And Martha said to the Lord at one point, Lord, you know, will you tell Mary to come and help me? Why is she just sitting there? I'm doing all the work. What did the Lord say? Martha, Martha, you are so stressed out about so many things. He said, Mary has chosen that better part, and I won't take it from her. He didn't say, Martha, you're doing something bad. Service is good. Worship is better. A life that just wants to soak in Jesus. Just soak him in. May God give us a heart like Mary to be a worshiper. Didn't Jesus say in John 4, the Father is seeking worshipers? Let me end with Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, some of you might be thinking, okay, but exactly how can I be a worshiper? Give your heart to Christ. 
can't be a worshiper until you're saved. But then listen to what Paul says in Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, which means the sum total of your lives, as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Listen, this is your spiritual act of worship. How can I worship my Lord? By giving him your whole life. Pouring it all out to him. Not trying to ration it, but saying, Lord, I belong to you. You died for me. I don't belong to me anymore. I belong to you. How can I serve you today? What can I do to bring glory to you today? That's the heart of a worshiper. May God give us grace to have that heart. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, that you have taken so many of us in this room out of the pit of selfishness where it was all about us. And Lord, you've opened our eyes, given us grace to receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and made us true worshipers. Now give us grace, Lord, every day to lay ourselves on the altar of sacrifice and say every day, Lord, I lay myself on the altar to you today as a living sacrifice. Take my life, Lord. Use me for your glory. I'm not my own anymore. I've been bought with a price. I'm to glorify you in my body, with my spirit. They belong to you now. So, Lord, where will you have your servant go? What will you have your servant do? I pour everything out to you today. My life is yours. Give us the grace to do that, Father. Lord, we thank you so much. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.